Well, good morning, everyone. Let's just bow our heads. Yes, Father, we just thank you that we, we gather in the name of Jesus, name above every other name. We gather in expectation, not in presumption. We know, Lord, that you do speak to us. We don't always listen so well, but Lord, we thank you that this morning that by your Spirit, you will take what is to be read and said, and you will minister where only you can go, where the soul and spirit meets in our hearts. We pray that you would take your glory, for we ask it, Father, in the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, let no one deceive himself. If any one of you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Now that's out of the New King James Version. A lot of you, as you heard that, probably thought it was more Irish than anything else. Become a fool to be wise. It sounds a bit strange. To become a fool to be wise, when I was at school I studied a bit of English, and that statement would have probably be called an oxymoron. An oxymoron, which is uh, where you link seeming contradictions. I always thought an oxymoron was a combination of wisdom from an ox and a moron. Uh, it would perhaps fall into this category, but it's intrigued me that, you know, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The fool, a fool. Looking in the Bible, we'll see that fool is mentioned many, many times. Seventy-three times, in fact, a fool. Foolish is mentioned 23 times. And foolishness, 20 times. So, basically, if we look at it all, too, we are all fools. Dare I say that? We are all fools. This morning, all we're going to do is to find out what kind of fool you really are. We all are fools. We are fools of one type or another. And we're going to have a look at all the fools that are in the Bible because with all those numbers, those statistics, uh, that foolishness and fools covers a wide, wide category of, um, uh, of, of people and events. Jesus highlights three areas of foolishness and they tend to revolve around money, wisdom, and religion. Money, wisdom, and religion. And I rather translate that into 3D, three-dimensional Christians, and the 3Ds are dollars, debate, and dogma. Dollars, debate, and dogma. And I want to deal with five fools, and let's start, let's start in Luke chapter 12, reading from 
verse 16, where we deal with the first fool, top of the list, is the rich fool. The rich fool, right at the top of the list. So let's read from verse 16 in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. But God said to him, fool. It's in red. Jesus is telling the parable. God said to him, you are a fool. Let's look at it humanly. He bought ground. It yielded plentifully. He had widely, wisely strategized. He was shrewd. He acted decisively and positively. He built a storehouse and he planned retirement. He did it good. He could have gone to university he did it good. He could have gone to the business school, the whole lot. He did it as per the book. In the modern context, we can translate it a little further. He could be the businessman of the year. He then decided to write a book. He sold millions of books, made a TV series called The Apprentice. He cracked the Forbes listing and he even ran for president and became a president. God's response, you are a fool. Now, dare I say it, I'm just saying, God, I'm just translating it. God's response, you are a fool. You see, the world says, well done, take thy ease, you deserve it. Eat, drink, and be merry. You done great. God says, you fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. Friends, I don't think we ever hear it in that context. Or we don't want to hear it in that context. You see, it's not compatible. It isn't. The successful man, you fool. We've sold the world, we've sold all this thing, but God says, you're a fool. Do you know why you're a fool? Because you've gained the world and you've lost your soul. You've gained the world and it doesn't matter how effectively and how spectacularly you have gained the world. You are a fool. I'm sorry. God says that. You are a fool. And you know, it's, it's a truth, unfortunately, that implodes the world's value system and it torpedoes the great American dream. 
Because unfortunately, whether you, it depends on which way you look at it, it is the truth. It is exactly the truth. And in this day and age, we did scared to preach that truth. That is the truth. It is because God says so. It is the way it is. And the important issue isn't that it's just a truth out there. The issue, my friends, you are what you are, what you really believe. It's a truth that should be in us, not just out there or just in our heads. It should be our life. King Solomon, the richest, wisest guy ever. No question about it. Why? Because the Bible says so. And I believe the Bible. If God says something, he means it. And it is the truth, even if I don't understand it. Many years ago, I gave up. In the early days, I used to analyze God until I realized, who am I? When I open the book, I'm receiving from him. So there it is. God says so. So God says he was the richest, wisest guy ever, so I believe it. And then if you open up in the middle of the Bible, and it's right in the middle, is the book of Ecclesiastes. And you read those 12 chapters, and you see that King Solomon had the money to do everything. He did everything. It's an intriguing book, 12 chapters of it. He did everything, but right in between, all the way along. He said it's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Hallelujah. Right in, it's a chasing after the wind. And you know, he comes to a conclusion. The richest, wisest guy ever comes to this conclusion right at the end. He said, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Not just the duty of man, the whole duty of man. In other words, there is only one thing of any importance in this world, and it's God Almighty. And there's only one way, only one access to him, and that's in Jesus Christ. It's not about ministries, it's not about churches, it's not about all the things we've made it. It is about an awesome, awesome God. And my friends, we have to get there. We know that in the youth of his relationship, I mean, he was blessed. He was given everything, a ministry. He was given everything. And I had a wonderful relationship with God. And in the youth of that relationship, he wrote the book of Proverbs. Wonderful wisdom from God. God has promised if you want wisdom, you can ask it. And then he wrote Ecclesiastes. And what was the difference? The one was written in the youth of his relationship. The other was written when the world had taken him to the cleanness. And if it could take King Solomon to the cleanest, it really wouldn't have a problem with you and me. No problem at all. Are you? Are you writing Proverbs? Is your testimony writing Proverbs? Do you see everything writing Proverbs? Or are you writing Ecclesiastes? Is everything meaningless and a chasing after the wind? Because it actually isn't. What God created isn't meaningless and chasing after the wind, except if you're outside God. Because the key element in it all is that you have to be hooked in. You have to be joined up. And there's only one way, and that is to be born again in Jesus Christ. Are you writing Proverbs? Or are you writing Ecclesiastes? And friends, we need to be challenged about those things regularly, more regularly than we allow ourselves in this modern day and age. Because there's a war going on out there. I'm sorry, and that's not a freaky preacher. 
There's a war going on out there. Not just in South Africa, in Australia, in America, in Britain, all over the place. And hopefully we can recognize it. I remember when I first got saved, Jesus Christ came into my wife's life. And you know when Jesus comes into our life, that life changes. No change, no Jesus. My wife was a nag. I know you don't believe it because it was a long time ago. But she changed. And I resisted it. And then one night sitting in front of a TV set, there was a program on Christianity. Stephen Grenfell was on the program. So was Reinhard Bonker. And Stephen Grenfell, atheist, agnostic, all rolled up into one. He was so anti, anti-Christianity, more particularly the happy clappies. And he was having a full go. He called himself righteous and presumptuous and all that thing. And I listened to him. And I, was, I had the same sort of ideas in those days. And it was great to receive confirmation on television. <laughs> and then he finished. And then the camera moved over to Reinhard Bonker. And as it moved over to, to, to Reinhard Bonker and he started to respond, I never heard a word he said. But the camera just zoomed up and his face just shone at me. I never heard anything. His face just shone and I saw that what was shining out of him was exactly the same as was shining out of my wife. I realized that in that moment that this is the gospel. God inhabits those he loves and those who serve him. I realized the gospel. And in the light of that revelation, I looked at Stephen Grenfell sitting in his chair and he just got uglier and uglier and then I saw myself sitting in his place. I saw myself vividly like I was a pig sitting in the gutter sitting in the muck and the mire and having the audacity from down there to condemn Jesus Christ who I knew was for real. And my life came before me. There in the power of the Holy Spirit, my life came before me. I was challenged. I was in the process of trying to gain the world something I would never do. But I was in the process of losing my soul. My life came before me. I was challenged by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anyone sitting either side of me wouldn't have heard a word or seen a thing. They would have heard Reinhard Bonker speaking. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, the great, great challenge. Conviction on sin, righteousness, and judgment. But that night, as I looked into the TV set, I realized that I was a fool. A fool. I was in the process of gaining the world and losing my soul. You cannot be a greater fool than that. Luke chapter 16. I want to go through the whole thing. It deals with uh, an account of two beggars. It really is only one beggar and a rich man, but they both ended up beggars because the one begged here on earth and the other begged into eternity. But there was Lazarus and the rich man. And just to sum up, when we look at the rich man, the rich man's reward, there was no comfort only anguish and despair. There were haunting memories of selfish acts. There were lost opportunities. Perhaps the most profound was that they were dead but aware. You see, I think many of us would like to hope that when we die one day, we just everything goes black and it all disappears and that's finish and clock. But that's the worst part about it. It isn't. It's a start of moving into eternity outside God. Dead, but aware. 
And it says they're tormented in the flames. And it's all in red. Jesus said this. The great gulf had been set. You know, in the old days when people died, they went to Hades, Sheol, the resting place. And there, there's a good place and a bad place. The good place, paradise, Abram's bosom. The bad place, Gehenna. Now, the, the bad news about the bad place was that you could see the good place. Hey, that made it worse, wouldn't you agree? No question about Good news about the good place, couldn't see the bad place. Because it would have definitely spoiled the view. No question about it. But, friends, it's a cursed one-way mirror. Nobody wants to preach about it. Nobody wants to talk about it in this day and age. But that's the truth of it. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not born again, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, you're going to hell. I'm sorry. Sorry. Because God says so. I mean, when someone says to you, you know, how do you get to hell? I say, very easy, you just keep walking. <laughs> and that's the truth. Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler. I mean, what a profound encounter. Something he knew, something was missing. He was very wealthy, he had everything. But at least he was honest. He knew something was missing because in this world, when you've got everything, you don't like to, other people to know that you're not so good there or not so good there or have any weaknesses. But at least he came. He came running and he knelt and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said, don't call me good, number one. He said, don't call me good because no one's good. When are you going to understand that you need to drop this goody-goody gumdrops thing? And the other thing was, go and give it all away. Go and give it all away. And this is Jesus. And for Jesus to present the gospel, he doesn't have to go to the seminar. It's his gospel. He said, go and give it all away. He told him the truth. The guy didn't like it. Headed off and Jesus didn't even run after him. The rich fool. There he is. There it is, it's in here. The next fool is the clever fool. Number two is the clever fool. He was born in the Garden of Eden. The clever fool was born in the Garden of Eden. You know how he was born? Because he chose to know good and evil. God had given him the right to choose, given him his own will. He chose to know good and evil. He chose to be like God, and he developed a wonderful obsession for knowledge and wisdom. It all started there. And it became a real obsession for knowledge and wisdom in small letters. Because wisdom with a big letter only comes from God. But this is small W and a small K. Knowledge and wisdom. Here was intellect. You know, God gives gifts. Intellect is a gift. It's a fantastic gift. God gives people a gift of intellect. There are some clever people. There are people who are naturally cleverer than other people. No question. Some people run faster than others. Others bowl faster than others. They all jest. It's the way it works. Intellect is one of the gifts. It's a gift. But it's not God. The problem we do with all our gifts is we make them God. Like King Solomon, he took wisdom and made it a God. 
You see, it's a gift. It's not God. And intellect, too, we need to understand. God does not have to answer to our intellect. Never, ever. God is so far above. You know, I hear people, and I can understand where they come from, demanding answers from God. But we really need to get to the position of understanding that God is so much more awesome than that. You know, it's the big problem that we have. Most of our minds, God is very small. You know that one of the greatest problems we have in the church modernly is that a great percentage of the people suffer from unbelief. They want to believe. They really want to believe. And they know that they should believe. But they haven't made it. Because you see, part of it is that you have to die to self. You have to give up your independent right to yourself. And it's a real human battle to do that. And it's not preached enough because we've got to repent and we've got to actually make that piece of action a reality in our lives. We don't do it. We sit week after week and we allow ourselves to get as close as possible. But we don't do it. In the book of Proverbs, it's a veritable glossary on clever fools. It says that a way of a fool is right in his own eyes. A fool is always right in his own eyes. A fool rages and is self-confident. A fool selfishly delights in expressing his own heart. A fool, his mouth is his destruction. Any fool can start a quarrel. He who hates correction is stupid. Maybe stupid is worse than a fool. I think it's the next category. Not just a fool, he's, he's stupid. You're not allowed to use that word in this day and age, I believe. But I think the Bible says he's stupid. He's not just a fool. Stupid. Psalm 14. Let's read Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There's none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. But they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord. There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. A fool says there's no God. You know, think about this. What gives an atheist any status? The fact that God exists. I mean, if God didn't exist, it wouldn't be a big deal to be an atheist, would it? I mean, it's not a big deal not to believe in Father Christmas because he doesn't exist. I hope I haven't spoiled that for anyone yet. <laughs> Particularly at this time of the year. But God exists. So if someone says he's an atheist, you say, my golly. Maybe you should go and see a psychiatrist. Because that's a big error. If you really came to understand about God Almighty, that's a huge, huge mistake. 
My friend, that's a huge mistake you're making. God exists and is awesome. Josh McDowell, he was an atheist, lecturer, great presenter, decided to prove that God didn't exist, set off through all the different religions, worked on the basis the moment he found anything that didn't make sense, he would just toss that religion out the window. He finally got to Christianity in the process of working through it, he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the process of that, he came to this conclusion on one of the issues. In, in, in John 14, uh, you, you know, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you look at that statement, you either believe that statement or you don't believe. So he's saying that that statement represents this. That every single one of us following that statement is one of three issues. We're in one of three positions. You're either Lord, you're either calling him Lord, or you're calling him a liar, or you're calling him a lunatic. If you believe that, and you believe it all your heart, you say, yes, he is Lord, you make him Lord of your life, and he is Lord. Your life changes. If you don't believe, you're either accusing him of one or two things. You're accusing him of a liar, which means he represented something he even knew wasn't true, so he's a liar. But if he was deceived and presented it, then he was a lunatic. So every one of us, one day when we stand before God, we are calling Jesus one of those three things. I mean, that's how I open it. doesn't matter where you are, and particularly in a Christian country, because you've heard John 14, 6 many, many times. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Psalm 49. For all can see that wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generation. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of their posterity who approve their sayings. Do not be afraid when one man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend with him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself, for men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers that shall never see the light. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. He's a fool. Worldly versus eternal treasures. My kingdom is not of this world. Nations are a drop in the bucket. Rulers are wheat and chaff. There's two wisdoms. God's wisdom and man's wisdom. Then they are diametrically opposed. The kingdom of God, the greatest, shall be a servant. The greatest in the kingdom of man shall be a king. They are diametrically opposed. It's all in hell. No argument. You see, as Spurgeon found out, preacher of the word of God, loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and understood these things. He said, if you're a believer, if you've come to really meet Jesus, do not stoop 
to become a king. Do not stoop to become a king. That's quite a statement. Do not, it is stooping to become a king or a president. Maybe not in the way we set up our own value systems and our own expectancies. Whatever men might think of human reason, God takes a low view of it, writes A.W. Tozer. What is highly valued amongst men is detestable in God's sight, Luke 16, 15. But this is all foolishness in the eyes of Almighty God. Thinking themselves so wise, they became fools. It says that in Romans. Thinking themselves so wise in terms of their own understanding of wisdom, they have become fools in the understanding of the real wisdom that comes from God Almighty. Wise in our own eyes. Fools in God's eyes. And that's all in here, friends. Not just one verse. It's not a one-verse doctrine. It is a deep, deep truth. And at the bottom line is, which tree are you and I feeding on? Are we feeding on the tree of life? Or are we feeding on the tree of knowledge? Are we worshipping God? Or have we translated God into good? Because we know the difference between good and evil. And those are mighty challenges for us. They are. Because friends, let me tell you the challenge in your life. Isn't the challenge you receive on Sunday morning? when maybe once every few months you, you get a challenge. The challenge is every day. And where you really are with Jesus. We've allowed all those other things to get in the way. The biggest issue of all, and we'll all find it out one day, is that while we were here on earth, there was only one issue. And it's Jesus. And friends, we need to be there. And I know that that is the fruit when you are truly sold out to Jesus. As Psalm 14 tells us, the characteristics of a clever fool. He denies the existence of God. He lives a corrupt life. is ignorant, lacks wisdom or understanding, never prays, does not read the Bible, has great fear. The third fool is the religious fool. A Pharisee. Hey, Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees. Ooh. Jesus did. And you just have to open your Bible and see. Jesus had a problem with the Pharisees. Almighty Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you want to see the problems that he had with the Pharisees, you open up Matthew 23. I'm going to read you some verses. Because I'm not going to speak about it. Let, let Jesus speak about it. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's talking about the religious people, the Pharisees. And he had a problem, a huge problem. And so did John the Baptist have a problem. And so did Paul. And so did everybody else that God has raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. They have a real problem with the Pharisee. The Pharisee is the person who has decided or appointed himself to play God here on earth. 
Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They sit in Moses' seat. They tell you to observe and do, but do not do according to their works. They love the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and this is Jesus speaking, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for, neither, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you de de devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you have, say long prayers. But woe, hypocrites, you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides. Fools and blind, fools and blind. It's all over the place. Woe to you, hypocrites. All Jesus, verse after verse, for you pay the tithe of mint and anisee and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Oh, Jesus! You also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Serpents, brood of utter, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? I send you prophets, wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent. To her. All in red. Hypocrites. Fooling self. Fooling others. Jesus has a problem with that. But far worse thinking that they can fool God. Ananias and Sapphira, we all want the early church. But what happened in the early church, and we love to talk about the early church, but Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they dropped down dead. Do we want that? I believe it still operates. We live a lie, but when you're living a lie, you don't drop down dead physically, but you're dying spiritually. Pretense, hugs, smiles, false humility, false modesty, smell like a rose, but dry rot inside. Psalm 19 talks about presumption. And what a great sin it is. David says, presuming. When I start presuming things, when I start presuming things from God, when I start making God a magic genie for me, that's presumption. And David said that's a great sin. In this modern day and age, we preach from what I call the five books of the modern Torah. There are five books in the modern Torah. The first book is called the Book of Assumptions. The second book is the Book of Imaginations. 
And then there's the book of manipulations, then the book of illusions, and then the book of deceptions. The modern Torah. And it's quoted and preached regularly. The all about me gospel. Friends, it's not about you and me. Not at all. It's about an awesome, awesome God. And my friends, let me tell you, when you get to that point, when God truly becomes absolutely Lord of your life, you will never know yourself. Because God has ordained it. He has made it absolutely impossible to find any sort of peace and fulfillment. It doesn't matter what the book says. It doesn't matter what the series says. It doesn't matter what the tape says. It matters what God says. When you have given up your independent right to yourself, when you are truly born again, your life will never be the same. I was dramatically saved. In the first couple of weeks, this little voice says, now you must give up drinking. I said, no, no, Lord, I've given you everything. How about a few beers? Just a few beers. And I look, you know, I'm, I'm busy with my Bible. He turns the water into wine. Hallelujah. <laughs> Timothy, have some wine with a meal. Hallelujah. It's not what you eat or drink, but the circumcision of the heart. Hallelujah. I made deals with him. Lord, I won't have the heart attack. You know, that's dangerous. Wine, dangerous. Red wine, very dangerous. Heart attack, dangerous. Just a few beers. But if I ever let you down, and uh, in a long story, finally, finally uh, I had to get rid of it all. How, do you know how it happened? It happened flat on my face with deliverance. At the foot of the cross with deliverance. I know. I've worn the t-shirts. I've worn those tackies for a long time. I know about religious fools. Jesus describes religious fools. They love good works. They want their ministries seen and praised by men. They pray long and fancy super spiritual prayers. They use scripture to dominate and manipulate others. They major on the minors and gray areas. Legalists, they look good but whitewashed tombs. Jesus' words. Religion. Friends, religion is the biggest business in the world today. It's a huge business. Huge business. And guys are making a lot of money and doing very, very well out of it. And most of the religions don't even know God. Certainly according to the Christian beliefs. And then there's the deceived fool. You see, you go, and, and when you get home today, you go first through Matthew 23, all red. And then you go into the next red chapter, which is Matthew 24. And there he talks about the deceived fools. This is it. Tell us, and this is Jesus, 
This is the question first. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Deception right at the top of the list. Take heed. Watch this. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Then they will de deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Isn't that amazing? You just look at what's going on in the world today. For then there shall be great tribulations such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. For, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why do they all mourn? Because they're not waiting for Jesus Christ. They will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Signs, wonders, miracles, manys and greats, all part of the Antichrist conditioning in the end time. They're all trying to say, look, here's God, here's God, here's God. And God says, no, there I am. There I am. I am an awesome, awesome God. I am totally in charge of everything. Nothing is going to take me by surprise. But I've given you your own wills. The only people who can be surprised and deceived are you, not me. You choose to look to me. You choose to have my Jesus, Lord of your life. You choose to read the word. The prophetic word is just the speaking forth boldly of God's word. The twig is budding. Some as near. I get excited every time. And every time I turn on the TV and there I see Trump. Hallelujah. Brexit. Hallelujah. Anywhere else. Hallelujah. The good news is all that bad news is very good news. Because he says so. The foolish versions that goes on 23, 24, 25, all in red again. I love it when it's in red. You know, he said, preach the word. He said, Mr. Preacher, preach the word. We want you to preach the word. Timothy, preach the word. I don't want you to preach from the word and about the word because I'm not interested in what you think. Tell them what I say. That's all. Not interested in your interpretations. Time will prove that either right or wrong. Just tell them 
what I say. And there you've had the foolish versions. All ten were believers. All ten were believers. Five were fools. All were invited. See, they all know that the whole world's invited. All knew the bridegroom was coming. All the virgins were dressed in white. They all had lamps. They were carrying lamps. They were parading virtue. That's religion. It's all there. We've got all the stuff. We're wearing all the right stuff. We're acting properly. But the lamps need oil. The oil of regeneration. Only five were ready, willing and able. Only five had not lost faith and hope despite the long wait. Only five were plugged in. Only five were born again. Only five had the sweet aroma and the oil of Christ. The deceitful. And then finally, we have God's fool. A fool for Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14 says, We are fools for Christ's sake. Are you a fool for Christ's sake? We are fools. That's the true believer. Sold out for Jesus. Radical. And radical is a lovely word today. It's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a detested word for some reason in the, in the church. Radical, all the radical is, is rooted in Jesus. And it says over and over we need to be rooted in Jesus. And when you're rooted in Jesus, you are obedient. No, some people don't have to tell you to do this and that. It's there. If the Bible says so, you do so. Uncompromised. Uncompromised is a natural, it's a knock-on fruit of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Sold out to Jesus. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's everything. All God wants is everything. He's a jealous God and he's a consuming fire. I remember when I first got saved, I was so excited. I was going to save the world in three weeks. I'm still trying to save the world in three weeks, every three weeks. More excited now than before. I mean, I was criticized the other day. I told you, I was at a, a leaders' meeting in Johannesburg. Joh- and afterwards, they asked me how old I was. I said, 75. And they said, 75? And still so excited about Jesus? I said, Aren't you allowed to be excited about Jesus? The way they asked the question, or maybe they were amazed that I hadn't been switched off in. 35 years. But you know, when I first got saved, I remember. The world out there was quite excited. What's happened to Peter Pollock? He's saved. They asked one of the cricketers what they thought about it. He said, well, maybe he needed to. (laughs) Like he didn't and still hasn't. But I was so excited. Out there they were interested. Church was initially interested like it was a moment of triumph. You know, finally he's got saved and brought into the church so now we can knock him into the right order. But maybe I was too excited. 
I know some people, I, I, I got up a few nostrils. I, I definitely did. So I heard one guy said, you know, maybe they should lock him up for six months or so. Someone else was more encouraging. He said, maybe he will mature someday. I thank God I never matured. A funny mentalist. He's a funny mentalist, that guy. You, you know, he, he's a Jesus freak, that guy. Uh, he, he's, he's lost it. He's, he's gone overboard. And I want to tell you, that was tough in those early days. It was tough. That was the ministry that I received. Tough. But as the years go by, now when you're 75, they say, no, it's okay, it was all right. I said, I wish you'd tell me that 35 years ago. You know, I went full-time in the ministry. You know what date I went out full-time in the ministry? April the 1st. <laughs> That's true. April the 1st. I swapped my fancy Merc for a clapped-out old skyline, put a Bible under my arm and set off to preach the gospel. I know in the early days, I said one morning in the quiet time, Lord, how come cricket wants such an obsession? How come it's so relatively unimportant? And I thought, well, time had healed that one. What about the business world? I had to get to the top. I had to be the boss and all this sort of stuff. Just giving it away. How come? And I really felt God gave me an answer. You had to go through all of that to get to here. Because how can you stand up and tell the world there's nothing at the top of this, the cricket world or the sports world unless I allowed you to play in the greatest cricket side your country ever produced? I mean, they argue about that now, but... <laughs> and what about the business world? You can't stand up and talk about the business world if you haven't been here. Well, certainly you couldn't in those days. I was brought up to believe that one day I would earn the right to express a view on something. That was the way we were brought up. You qualify, you serve an apprenticeship. Today to express a view, all you have to do is breathe oxygen. And then you wonder why. It's such a mess. You had to go through all of that to get to here. To get to the point of understanding that there is no more incredible place to be than to be sold out to Jesus. To be born again, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no greater job. It is absolutely. And friends, as I travel around, there are too many people that say to me, you know, I'm really battling to put Jesus number one. There are too many people you say, I really want to believe, but I can't. I really need some dramatic thing to happen in my life. You were lucky. That's what happened to you. But it's there. It's faith. It isn't about a sign, one day and a miracle. It is about a determination in your heart and soul to declare and to open up the way for Jesus Christ to be Lord totally of your life. You have to give up your independent right to yourself. Biblically we know that as we look at it all, a fool is an unbeliever. You know, think of this. If the Bible is true, which it is, then unbelief has to be sheer lunacy. You've got to agree. If this Bible is true, 
not to believe in it has to be sheer lunacy. It has to be intellectual suicide. It has to be the ultimate no-brainer. A fool for Jesus. From the Sermon on the Mount, I love it, you can just read in Jesus, you are a fool for Jesus when others mock and scorn and call you that. When they revile and persecute you and speak evil of you. A fool for Jesus. What an incredible place to be. But it takes a big decision. You see, so many of us are what I would call 3D believers. 3Ds, the 3Ds being dollars, debate, and dogma. Now, 3D is human. We can produce 3D and you go to the films and you see, put glasses on. But we need to move from 3D into the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension involves the D of death to self. But above all, the fourth dimension belongs totally and utterly to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I leave that challenge. Friends, we need to get challenged on a regular basis. We really do. I don't think in the church these days, perhaps that's how I keep busy. Because the church has decided it needs to hear the gospel. The other stuff just doesn't work. The gospel works because it is the the preaching of the gospel that is power unto salvation. This December, the 4th, Today, 2016, where do you stand today, right now, as we go into Christmas? It's not my favorite time. Why? Because a lot of what happens around Christmas is a misrepresentation of my Lord and Savior. People get caught up in all the other things, and they get caught up in the spirit of Christmas when it's all about Jesus. So this 4th December, as we head forth, Charles always, Charles Patterson always says to me, you know, we should put up a sign as we leave the church that just says, now you are now heading into the battlefield. Because that's the truth. You are. You're heading into the, the battlefield. And as you set out this morning, heading into the bat- battlefield, and the bigger battlefield, because it's all around, is this time of the year. The question I ask you this morning is where do you really stand with Jesus? Where do you really stand? Not w- wishing I could believe, hoping, knowing that I should. But I want to determine this morning that I am. I'm going to lay down all those doubts. 
I'm going to lay all before, and I'm going to say, Lord, maybe I've done this many times before, but I'm saying that this morning, Lord, I want to give it all to you. I never want to be the same. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I just thank you for this time. Every head that's bowed, each one's so special. There's not one exception in this room. You love us more than we can even begin to understand. You are an awesome God beyond our understanding. We thank you for the great privilege of preaching your word, knowing that as we preach your word, that it's your word and the spirit that accompanies your word, that ministers into hearts. I pray hearts have been soft, ears wide open to hear. I pray, Lord, that, um, that there are many here this morning who have said, yes, yes, I want to be... Uh, uh, I want to leave here this morning never to be. I want to make a commitment, a recommitment. I want to mean business. I want to determine in my heart to walk out of here never to be the same again. Maybe I've done that a few times before, but I want to determine this year, 2016, I want to mean business, Lord. I want to stop playing games. I want to mean business. If you've been challenged for whatever reason, I'm asking you to do something about it here this morning. I'm going to say a simple prayer prayer of commitment, it might well be a recommitment, but if you've been challenged for whatever reason, if you want to do something about it, I'm asking you, and for whatever reason you've been challenged, I'm going to say a simple prayer, prayer of commitment, and for whatever reason you've been challenged, I'm asking you in the silence of your hearts, silently, say this prayer after me, meaning every word, and knowing that for whatever reason you've responded, the Lord Jesus Christ will meet you right where you are, because He says so. Not because anyone else says so, because he says so. You want to mean business with Jesus. You want to walk out of here this morning never to be the same again. In the silence of your hearts, say this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I just come to you as I am. I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that you died very specially for me. Thank you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I repent. I turn my back on my old life and I look to you. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Take charge of my life and set my spirit free. I love you, Jesus, with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Thank you for the way you've made me. Thank you for skills and talents you've given me. Show me, Lord, how to use them to your glory. I receive you right now. I never want to be the same again. Take your glory in my life, Lord Jesus. Take your glory. Just keep heads bowed, eyes closed, don't look up. If you said that prayer this morning for whatever reason, just quickly put your hand up and down. All those, yes, yes. Oh. All those who put your hands up, just stand up where you are, please. In fact, I want to make it special. I want you all to come down here. I want to pray for you. Just come all here. Just come Father, I just thank you. Your word tells us that except the Father draw, nothing can happen. 
Lord, we know that except by the power of the Holy Spirit you bring people forward, nothing can happen. And we know, Lord, that for whatever reason, by your Spirit you have drawn these people forward. Some for recommitments, rededications, whatever. You know they would have an idea, but you know even better. But Father, having drawn them forward, Father, in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that not one of these lives will ever be the same again. Not one of them. I pray, Lord, that even as they walk out of here this morning, they would walk out of here with a new joy, a new peace, a new desire to read your word and to pray to you and to have fellowship with the saints. I pray that there'd be testimonies from today onwards in every one of the lives, that even they will be amazed at what you do in lives that are totally and utterly sold out to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that in the next month or two, something small but very significant will happen in every one of these lives, that they will know that that is you. For in you we live and move and have our being. It is experiential, Lord, and I thank you for that, that as we seek you, we will find you, that we'll even be amazed. Lord, I pray that your angels would surround these people and protect them. I pray that you would take them completely and utterly into a new dimension in you because they believe for that, Lord. You have given us our own will and we are the consequences of our decision-making process. And I pray that, Lord, this isn't just a head thing this morning, that it's a heart thing that these lives will never be the same. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that there would be testimonies in every one of these lives. Thank you. Thank you for that too. Father, I thank you that you take one sentence and bring different meanings to different people. I pray that in your very special way that you have had something to say to each and every one of us. I thank you, Lord, that you, it is all about you. It's all about your church It's all about Jesus, Father, because you have ordained it that way. As we go into Christmas, I stand against the things of Christmas that might challenge our faith, Lord. I stand against them. I thank you for the parts of it where we can be testimonies. And I pray that indeed we would be testimonies in the next month or so. I ask for your protection on each and every one of us and that indeed we would be testimonies, testimonies of the Spirit of God as against the Spirit of Christmas, the worldly Spirit of Christmas. Lord, thank you for this fellowship. I thank you, Lord, for your hand upon this fellowship. I thank you for the meetings today. I thank you, Lord, for the challenges. I thank you for Richard, and and I thank you for, Lord, that you brought him into our fellowship. I thank you for it all. We just know that your hand is upon it. To you be all the honor and the glory, now and forever. Amen.